as someone who has aspirations of a career in sports broadcasting, it is an absolute pleasure to be joined by Sky Sports News presenter Julian Warren. But seeing as the both of us are Eversonians, really, yeah. I think there's only one place to start. Monday evening, 8pm to be exact, Everton announced the signing of Colombian international James Rodriguez on a two-year deal from Real Madrid. So, Julian, thanks ever so much for joining me. I'm sure with your work and all, you've been submerged in Everton's transfer activity over the last couple of weeks. What was your response to James finally being confirmed as an Everton player last night? Yeah, good to speak to you. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, yeah, it, it, the frustration for all Evertonians was the wait, wasn't it? That's the worst bit. The wait is you know, it's only natural that we're pessimistic, isn't it? You start thinking, this is going to fall through, he's going to change his mind, there's going to be a medical issue or something. So that wait seemed to have gone on for, for weeks, didn't it? But um, to finally see it come through, it's like I said to you on Insta last night, I think if you'd said to us a year ago, Ancelotti will be your manager and he'll be signing James Rodriguez, we'd be like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> But, um, you know, the stars have aligned, it's come to that. And, um, I, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm split. Part of me, I'm trying to be the positive optimist. I think what a player he was six years ago, best player at the World Cup. Uh, you know, Real Madrid, what, 13 goals, 13 assists in 29 games the following season. Mm -hmm. Great year with Carlo at Bayern Munich. So, he knows him well, he gets the best out of him, he loves playing for him, and he's a world-class player on his day. But there is then... <laughs> The Evertonian inside me that comes through and thinks that he's not done it for a couple of years, has he? But he's been, in fairness, he's not played many games. He's not had many chances. He's been out of favour at Real Madrid. His face didn't fit with Zidane. I think Gareth Bale knows all about that. So, you know, here he is, big name. He's going to be the main man. And I mean, it could turn into a master stroke. If a 22 million, why not give it a go? And he could be a superstar for us. No, most definitely. And I mean, you touched on it there. I think the. The most anxious moments of it all, really, was that wait last night. I think everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be five o'clock. Oh, it's going to be yeah. six o'clock, seven o'clock. And as I say, eight o'clock, you know, the news was finally announced. And amongst the madness of Evertonians online last night, one of the mm. things that really stuck with me, it was a tweet that came out by the great Alan Myers saying mm. that Everton have plans. I mean, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but basically Everton have plans to hugely expand their presence and their, their marketing within Colombia and the South American market. So just how important do you think that is for Everton to expand their global reach with, you know, the signing of such a global superstar? I mean, I think, you know, Evertonians living in this country, we might, we might say, well, the most important thing is to get successful on the pitch and start mm. winning stuff again. That's what we want to see. And of course it is. But yeah, the modern world of football is... It's your, black, it's your brand, isn't it? You've got to be big in this country and you've got to have the worldwide brand. And, you know, bringing Carlo Ancelotti in was a major step on making us a European force again. And now to bring in, well, we've already got Richarlison, haven't we? And, uh, and Alan joining him. So you've got that Brazil box ticked. And now to, to touch, you know, get to Colombia as well. I know Yeri Mina's been there as well. But this guy, I mean, James Rodriguez is following on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, it's, it's massive, isn't it? And he's one yeah. of the biggest global sports stars, I think. So it is important. And, you know, but I just think it's a long way. It's, it's a big project. We're a long way from being, you know, a worldwide footballing force. I think until we have success on the pitch, for me, that comes later. But uh, yeah, of course, having a player like him 
can only help and, and the extra finances that will bring in you know interest from abroad it's it's a positive but I, I, my my primary goal is seeing us win matches on the pitch seeing Hamed star and start winning trophies again yeah yeah you you, you, <clears throat> raise, you raise an excellent point there and I suppose as I say someone who's 22 years of age and never seen us win silverware for us yeah. to be you know still one of the most successful clubs in the country um yet and not won something for so long yeah. you know that certainly should take precedence but as you say there, you, you touched on his social reach. And I looked into it last night. I think he's got approaching 50 million Instagram followers across all, all platforms. I think it's nearing, I think it's 95 to 100 million, which is absolutely mm-hmm. insane. And in regards to, you know, football and superstars, I think he's the fourth most followed superstar in footballer, sorry, on social media. Mm-hmm. So just on that, I was talking with, you know, Evertonian friends last night uh, and I put the question to them really, is this the biggest signing that we've seen in our lifetime? That obviously is in terms of a, a, a player with a, a social reach, such as Hammers. In your time of following Everton, obviously, you know, you've supported the club for your, all your life. Uh, have you any other sort of huge stars that spring to mind uh, when looking back? And do you think this is the, the biggest of them all? Do you know, I, I was thinking before, I, I can't think of a, a bigger name that we've, that we've signed. I can't remember another one. I'll tell you what, speaking to you before we came on and you talked about struggling to sleep last night, the only one that I can remember in my lifetime that had a similar impact on me was when we brought in Andre Konchelskis. And I, I was just blown away by that signing. I was so excited. It just blew my mind because, you know, seeing him playing for Man United, tearing down the wing, scoring goals, pinpoint crosses. That was the last time I thought, wow, I can't believe we've got this guy. And obviously, he did a great job for a few years for us and was in the 95 team and all the rest of it. So, um, Konchelskis was the last one I remember of that really got me thinking we brought in a superstar here. But no, I, I think Hammers, you, you cannot argue. I mean, have we had a, a World Cup Golden Boot winner signed for us in the last Gary, 2013? Gary Lineker was, wasn't he? Since sure. Lineker. Yeah, I guess, I guess Lineker, yeah. Um, but... I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been that long, hasn't it? So certainly in my, I've been sporting everything since I was, what, eight? So 30, 30 mumble years. So it's, I think it's the biggest, biggest sign, the biggest name, certainly. Not the biggest fee, of course, but the biggest name. Yeah, of course. Um, and for me, fairly, I mean, I, I grew up um, obviously watching, I think my, the, the team that attracted me most to, to football, Everton aside, obviously, I think it was around the 2006 Barcelona team. Um, mm. So under Frank Reichard and, you know, we did end up signing Sammy Walletto. A, a lot of people yeah. do forget that. And, and I think that's another name that springs to mind. Um, but just for the, you know, the audience, a, a grand old team and whatnot, mm. just to, to touch on, I think what makes sport, obviously, and what makes people so, you know, passionate about sport is those personal preferences and those subjective meanings to the individual. So in terms of, as you say, following Everton as a boy, uh, what are some of your fondest memories? Um, and have you got any sort of games, goals or players that spring to mind? Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I grew up on the Wirral side, you know, it was blue or red in the mid eighties. It was, you know, that was your choice. And I went blue and my half brothers, my best mate went red. Um, and obviously they've been winning things ever since. Um, but yeah, I was, at the time we were winning stuff, weren't we? We were one of the, the best teams in the land. Um, and I, my memories of Everton are me and my dad going, taking me along, sort of 
age seven or eight, I think 87. So I was a bit of a glory hunter first year when we won the league. That's when I started going. And my dad used to take me along and I was dressed up in my little Everson tracksuit. We used to park at the other side of the Anfield Cemetery and walk through the, the cemetery. And the ground just appears, isn't it, on the horizon, just sort of looms up large. And of course, as a little lad, you see this great place coming up in front of you and it's just like spine thing i get you know, I get the goosebumps thinking about it now you know and you, you hear the music and the smells of the food outside and the the same tunes george harrison being played on the, on the radio inside inside the stadium on the, on the tannoy so i just got great memories of going as, as a lad um sadly these days i don't get there as much obviously because uh living in down south and working in london it's, it's tricky i've got a young family as well so i can't get to as many games as i'd like but Fond, fond memories. Had a season ticket for a number of, of years as well. Um, in terms of games that stand out um, and goals, um, for me, you know, actually, goal-wise, I don't think anything more significant for me than the ride-out FA Cup final goal in 95, just because it's the last goal we scored that won us anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the perfect counter-attack. Um, I was at home with my mates because I was about 16, 17, so I think I was sixth form, watching it in my lounge with my mates. He scored, I jumped up, took out the lampshade in my mum and dad's lounge. Um, and actually, I got to speak to him and Graham Stewart a couple of months ago. Uh, did a feature for Sky Sports about 25 years since our last trophy. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and they were very good to speak to me about, about that. And Rideout says, you know, he still dines out on it now, you know. Biggest goal he ever scored. And he works in America, but he says, you know, young lads who he coaches come in with their phones and YouTube going, was this you? Was this you? <laughs> but that, I mean, that was such a big goal, wasn't it? That for me really stands out as the last moment when, you know, being an Evertonian, we could say, yeah, we're winning stuff again. And sadly, we're still waiting for another moment like that. But hopefully, it's not far away now. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think so with, you know, San and such as these, you would really like to think that that the tides are turning. Um, and on Everton, no too. Obviously, there you talk to some of that that squad that won the FA Cup in '95. You know, Graham Stewart, Paul Rydell. Mm. Are there any interviews over your time that really you know stick to memory with Everton stars? I mean, not specific interviews, but certainly I still pinch myself now that you know doing the job I do at Sky and working on Soccer Special. You know, some of the guests I have on, you know, Tony Cotty, a legend for me. I was there as a 10-year-old, 10, 10 the day he scored a hat-trick on his debut against Newcastle. That was one of my first games again with my dad. This new guy had signed for us, didn't know a lot, a lot about him, and he banged in a hat-trick. And, and many years later, he's on my panel, and, you know, having a drink afterwards. And, <laughs> you know, you're just like, wow. I was, I was cheering this guy's name from the stands when I was a 10-year-old, you know? And here I am working with him. And the other one is... Graham Sharp, you know, the one and only, the legend is Graham Sharp. Mm -hmm. We had him on soccer specials and, you know, again, an absolute legend of a man and one of the nicest guys you'll meet as well. I think, I think you know yourself. And, um, you know, having him on soccer specials and eventually played in a, a soccer Saturday golf day, a Christmas golf day with him uh, against Ray Houghton and Phil Thompson for Liverpool. And uh, we combined to beat them, which was a, a nice Merseyside derby win. Uh, so, I haven't yeah, had one of them good. in a while. No, I don't know exactly. <laughs> on the golf course. In fact, Sharpie did all the all the winning of the points. It was just, I just I just stood there and hacked around really. But um, so I think that's for me. That's that's what's so special about doing my job that I'm working alongside guys who I used to idolise, and now you treat them as colleagues and you know friends even. And whenever I see Graham back at, at Goodison along with Graham Stewart and uh, and all the other guys, uh, everyone's so friendly and welcoming. That that's Everton for you, isn't it? Mm. 
Fantastic. That, that's really great to hear. And I mean, we talked a little bit about him just shortly before recording. Uh, it's hard not to mention him when you're talking about Everton Football Club at the moment. And it certainly seems to be the first talking point for anyone outside of the Everton bubble when looking at Everton at the present moment. But, you know, the coup of Carlo Ancelotti, obviously it's attributed the entire reason why we are attracting the likes of Alain from Napoli yeah. Uh, and James Rodriguez from Real Madrid. Um, what have you made to his life starting as Everton manager? And I'd just like to ask, obviously, you know, you have experienced a fair bit. What do you think differentiates him and makes him different from Everton managers of the past? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Great question. Um, <clears throat> I guess if you look at the managers we've had recently, certainly, you know, Marco Silva, new pretty unproven. Roberto Martinez, he's had the, the cup win and he, with Wigan, but was still looking to establish himself. Um, going further back than that, Koeman, yes, he was, a, he was a name, but you, know, you could argue still on the biggest of stages, had to prove it as a coach and obviously he's going to try and do that at Barcelona now. But Carlo Ancelotti has been there, worn every single t-shirt you can wear and has got the CV pretty much unrivaled in the game. I mean, apart from Sir Alex, Mourinho, maybe Pep, I don't think you can there's no one else that you can you can hold up a CV next to his and say it's anything like it. So, for me, that's the big difference. I just wish we'd had him, him in a bit earlier, but obviously the way things have worked out, we wouldn't have had him a few years earlier. Now is the time. For those that argue that maybe you know he's he's peaked and he's not the manager he was, but I think you know <laughs> the skills he's clearly inherited over the years. He's a proven winner. You're not going to lose that overnight. And I think the respect he'll instantly command with the players. They all say it, don't they? When they come when they play for him, you know, I'm playing for Carlo Ancelotti, and when he talks, you listen. And I think we've seen the pull he's had on Rodriguez and um, and Alan. You know, he's just got that charisma. He's got that. He's got the CV, and he's obviously, he's obviously a great coach as well. But I, I just think the stature of the man is the difference. I think for us, and that is what I think our club needed. Just to remind people who we are, we need a, a top top draw manager. There's no disrespect to anybody who went before. But Carlo Ancelotti's CV, for me, for where we want to get to, is, is the difference. And yeah, he's never had a challenge like Everson probably in the last 30 years. He normally goes into clubs that are successful and are winning things and just tinkers and puts his eye around everybody and they go on and win more. But I think, I think this challenge seems to suit him. He seems up for it. He seems up for making his mark. And I, I think just give him a couple of years, the signings we're seeing, I was worried he might not get the finance because of the you know, difficulties at the moment that, maybe some of his predecessors got. But from the signings he's making, uh, I think, you know, I think we can dare to dream. Most definitely. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's exactly what the club needed. You know, a, a manager of that stature, somebody who commands respect mm -hmm. for the group of players that, you know, uh, I don't think anyone be, would be too far wrong to say they haven't lived up to what had been expected of them over the mm -hmm. past several years. For somebody like him to come on, come into Goodison Park and put his stamp on things. We're obviously seeing that now with, you know, the recruitment. They are certainly players that, you know, have worked under him before and have really excelled under his coaching. Mm. Um, and it not, looks now, finally, that we've, we've got that balance correct between director of football and manager. Obviously, mm. full compliments go to Marcel Brands and the business that he's mm. been able to do um, with the reported figures on the deals and I mean Jules you, you talked about it earlier but this coming season uh, are we optimistic or is the pessimist Evertonian still 
still at surface level ready to accept, you know, the struggles of, of what have been the past couple of years. I mean, if we're not pushing for seventh this season, there's something wrong, isn't there? <laughs> no, I joke. Uh, I mean, no, I, I, the problem is, I look back to the final two months of last season and, you know, this is the one downside about Ancelotti so far. But, you know, he came in at a difficult time. Duncan steadied the ship. It's been a difficult season. COVID came. You almost have to write off last season. But I can't help but think back to some of those performances at the end of last season. I think we've got to go a long way to come from there to where we want to be. But as I say, if we if I'm positive and write that off as just a, an exceptionally exceptional season for all the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. we start afresh now. He's sorted that midfield out. You know, once Decorey hopefully comes in later today as we're speaking, he's sorted that midfield out. I'm excited by. Richardson and Calvert Lewin, and I think Keane might get a few more games this season. I think we might start to see what you know what we paid the money for him. I think he showed a few touches in a few of the last games for me to be excited about Moyes Keane again. And then at the back, I think I think we're pretty solid there. I, I think we could do with the right back challenge for, for Sheamus and cover at left back. And yeah, you could argue a better goalkeeper to push uh, Jordan all the way. But um, I, I think the midfield was where we needed to sort out. He's done that, and you know a lot of. Clubs are still going through transitions. Jose is still trying to settle in at Spurs. You know, Arteta, yeah, he's made steps forward, but he's still got work to do at Arsenal. You know, yeah, Wolves and Sheffield United had a good season. No guarantees they'll back it up this season. So I think sixth, if we can get sixth, I think that is that has got to be the target. Ancelotti has not come in to happy to be happily finishing seventh, eighth, ninth, is he? That's not what he's there for. He wants European football. Uh, yeah, we want the Champions League, of course, really, but I think it's got to be baby steps. And if you're offering me sixth now, Absolutely, snatch your hands off for it. European football, we're certainly a name, we're yeah. a name that most certainly deserves it. And now to to push on to my own sort of career sort of orientated questions, if you will. Mm. You know, you did touch on it there. We are coming off the back of the longest season in English football history for mm. all the wrong reasons. Um, just how happy are how happy are you that football is finally looking, you know, to return to some sort of normality, some sort of schedule? I know it's been bizarre for everybody involved in the industry. So, as I say, just how happy are you that football is back? And what are the type of changes that you've had to adapt to over the last few months? Ah, uh, yeah, it just made such a difference when it came back at the end of last season. Just you know, primarily as a football fan, being able to watch games again. Uh, you really start to miss it, don't you, after three or four months without it? Uh, I know it's not the same not being able to go to games for supporters, but at least we've got football to watch on on TV now. So yeah, having that back as a fan, and secondly, as a, you know, as that's the, the industry I'm in, you're just being able to cover matches again, have have a guest come into the studio to follow a game and to have that excitement again. For me, that just you know, we kept broadcasting at Sky Sports News, obviously throughout throughout COVID and the lockdown and. We're bringing people up to date with what was happening, with how it was spreading, and events that were being cancelled and stuff. But we didn't, of course, have any live sport to, to, to cover. So just having that again, uh, I'm going in tonight. I'll be covering the England game, and you know, then got soccer special coming back next week with you know League Cup and Everton and all the rest of it. So you know, suddenly it feels like my life is getting back to some some semblance of normality again. So that'll make a big difference. But it's been a huge challenge. I mean, working at Sports News throughout it all, I was. <laughs> down from sort of four days a week to one day a week because of social distancing. They, they cut the presenters from 10 to two because mm. we were doing so much, so fewer hours just to make it, to be able to get through because suddenly you had a, an office that normally has, I don't know, 80, 90, 100 people in. It was down to 10, 12 people in. 
so they could only do so much and just to keep the, the station on air and broadcasting as well as we did i think was quite a quite an achievement but gradually things are coming back now and uh, we've still got a lot of restrictions there and what we can do and sky have done a great job with the, the social distancing and all the rest of it but um yeah it, it's it feels like it's getting back to I can sit in a soccer special studio with a panel of four guests alongside me. I think that's going to be a while away. At the moment, they're split in two different studios. I shall find out next week how, how challenging that might be. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're getting there slowly because it, it's been a strange old time, hasn't it? Yeah, that, that's good to hear. It, it is certainly unprecedented times. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the byproducts of, it, of this has been, you know, the Zoom revolution mm -hmm. that we've seen, you know, yeah. the type of things that we're... We're certainly doing today um and just to, to delve into you know just to give a, a bit of background on yourself if you will because i'm sure you know there's a lot of students that listen to this that will you know learn a lot from it i'm well i'm supposed to be graduating from ucfb's seag campus um i've done a degree oh. in business and media um obviously the, it specializes in the football industry uh, and mm. career paths in that sense um i've completed mm. modules in the likes of broadcasting uh, and television production um, looking at someone such as yourself you know you've been a mainstay at sky for what is it 12 13 years now yeah which, i know unbelievable yeah which is absolutely you know that's a huge credit to yourself and you know pressure is a privilege in a sense i love that saying because i think it certainly yeah. is true um yeah just if you wouldn't mind could you walk me through your your career path um uh, and how you've got to where you are today yeah, of course. Thanks for the kind words, by the way, Max. That's, that's really good of you. Um, if, if I get boring, just stop me, okay? Um, <laughs> how far back should I go? So I'll try and speed up the first bit. So I did an English literature degree, uh, which is when I started to realise I wanted to get into broadcasting. So I did a bit of student radio while I was doing that. I'd done hospital radio before. Uh, I think I did a work experience at Radio City when I was a sort of teenage lad. I managed to get myself a, a week there. Uh, then while I was at uh, Sheffield doing that English degree, I applied for a postgraduate diploma at um, University of Central Lancashire, Preston, uh, which had great facilities, had its own TV studio, radio studios. Uh, and I knew I wanted to sort of, you know, focus on broadcasting journalism for, for a year before I tried to get into the, the industry itself. And so that was where I really learned what the what it was all about, how, how, to, how it works, how to use your voice, how, how TV works, how radio works. Uh, I was a great course, really intensive. I went from doing sort of eight hours a week as an English student to sort of nine hours a day. It was like a proper job. Which is what you need you need to <laughs> you have to work hard in this business so um that was great learned loads there we had a load of um visiting news editors we did sort of news days when we were basically like a radio station or a tv station and we'd have visiting news editors come in from um radio stations around the country or uh tv companies and they would be in and have a look at you and help you on the day and that's where i got spotted if that's the right word by um a great guy called john pickford who was who i think still is the head of news at Key 103 Piccadilly in Manchester. Um, he's a bit of a legend in those parts. And um, he saw something in me, thankfully, and got me a, a work placement with them. And that's where eventually when I left my course, I got my first job. So radio for me was my was my way into uh, into Sky. And actually, a lot of us, a lot of the presenters there, that's the way they, they came in. Um, because you learn so much in that medium. You don't have to worry about what's going on here. You can just purely work on you know working on your voice your skills your reading if you're, if you're doing bulletins um so that was brilliant yeah and i had sort of eight years in radio in 
in, in Manchester and then in Sheffield, where I was head of sport there for, for a number of years, a, a regional station there. And then from there, after six months traveling with my wife abroad, quit our jobs, went to London, got a work placement at Sky, did a bit of freelancing around radio there and, and got my screen test that I'd been dreaming for. You know, Sky Sports was the place I wanted to work. It was what I was aiming towards. And the dream became reality. Lucky enough, a few weeks later, I was on air on Sports News and the rest is history. So that's how it all worked out. I mean, I had my luck along the way. You have to have a bit of good fortune. I think Most definitely. when I got to Sports News, they were looking for a new presenter at the time. And, I, you know, I, I happened to have my screen test, which went well. And so I got in. But no, a lot, a lot of hard work on the way, you know, and sticking the radio days. A lot of, you know, long days, long nights, weekends, you know, giving up stuff you normally do with your mates on a Saturday. I'd be doing the sports show or whatever, you know or traveling to a match or whatever. So, you know, you have to graft, you have to put in the hours. Uh, and I've, you know, done a bit of networking over the years and met people. So that's how it happened, really. So, yeah, I've had good fortune, but I like to think I've probably worked hard as well, and that's paid off. No, most definitely. Uh, um, I would sort of, I, I can sort of, I can see similarities to myself in the modern era, if that makes sense. Obviously, mm. you said you had great success with radio. Um, and in this mm. new media age, if you will, um, uh, I'm ever so grateful to UCFB, who basically give me the green light to, to run podcasts for them uh, and host their podcasts. And yeah. that's given me some fantastic opportunities. You know, I've recorded at places like Wembley uh, and the Etihad. Um, and I've had the chance to speak to some, you know, absolutely fantastic people within broadcasting, you know, the legends, such as Alton Wellsby. Um, I've spoke to Clive mm. Tilsley too. Um, uh, and as you say there, uh, another key point I think anyone should should take from this is that you've always got to be open to learning, in a sense, yeah. whether that's, you know, how to pitch your voice, how to, you know, you know, coming from me, how to drop the accent and how to control it, as I say. Uh, and then from the technical side of things, if you're looking at any sort of sports production or broadcast, what type of shots do and don't work um, and things such as that. Um, you know, so as I mentioned there, I have spoke to some fantastic people, not just sports people, but, you know, broadcasters as well. Did you have any particular big influences or inspirations in terms of people within sports media growing up? I think um, <clears throat> certainly when I, you know, the first work experience I got, I mentioned was at Radio City when um, the legends that were um, Graham Beecroft and Kevin Keatons were like running the show there. And they were the voices I heard. You know, every weekend on Radio City, listening to the blues and stuff. So I suppose they were the first voices when I the first radio commentary and radio presenting in sport I got to listen to. And oh, I like the way they do that. And sort of got to just listen to them lots and hear how they did things. And, uh, and sort of seeing them work for a week or two was great. I think on TV, uh, like all football fans, sports fans of my age, you know, the great Des Lyman was the guy everyone looked up to and worshipped. And he just, you know, he, he had the, the authority, the gravitas, but he had that warmth. He's engaging the humour, which are all things which I, whether successful or not, try and bring to my own presentation when I can. Um, people might disagree when I manage to achieve that, but that's what I try and do. Because I think if I'm at home watching football, watching sports presentation, I want to feel that person that I like them, that they're likable, that I trust what they say, I want to hear what they've got to say, and that you know that, that's what I look for. So. Des was definitely an inspiration for me. And then people like Steve Ryder, John Inverdale, Hazel Irvin, all of these people, just for me, polished, professional, watchable um, broadcasters. And a big influence on me most recently, uh, when I was just finding my way in radio, and he's only a few years older than me, a couple of years older than me, is um, 
Dan Walker at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got that first job at Key 103 in Manchester, I did a bit of a news and sport role. I was doing both. But he was the head of sport. So I'd work on his sport show and go off and cover Bolton or Man City or whatever, uh, whatever it was at the time. And Dan was just a you know couple of years further on than me. Great guy, brilliant lad, funny guy, but just really helpful, supportive. And I, I just learned a lot working alongside him at the weekends on a Friday with the press conference and stuff, just watching what he did and and just sort of soaking it all in, sponge like, you know, to try and absorb what, what he was doing. He was uh, was great and, and he's supportive still now for me. So um, I'd always say, yeah, it's all about learning, like you mentioned before. It's just taking advice from people, taking it all in, watching, observing. You know, you're not going to be able to do it straight away. Uh, just watching how radio works, TV works, podcasts, it's all different, different skills. So, you know, the more you can take on board, the better for the long run, I think. Yeah, most definitely, as you say, they they all they all do require different skills, but particularly in this current media climate, climate, sorry, it is extremely useful to be able to be a jack of all trades. If that makes, yeah. if you if you get what I'm saying, I do think that is incredibly useful to be able to go into each media form with the you know the same level of confidence, almost an assuredness yeah. that you're going to perform your job to you know a high standard or, or at least hope that people who go into these sorts of roles or aspire mm. to be in these roles do have high standards set for themselves um mm. so as you as you say there with, with sky sports being almost as if you're you, you know your guiding star uh, at the top uh, you've, you're obviously in the role now you've been there for several years and as i say I, i've done say student modules on broadcasting and to be mm. there in front of the camera while there's nothing short of chaos going on uh, all, all around you. What are some of the things that you've learned? Have you got any tips? And Are there any sort of, not necessarily lows, but anything, that, any experiences that you've been through that you've learned from and thought, you know what, that's never going to happen again? Yeah, I mean, live TV, stuff goes wrong. That, that's, the way, that's the way it is. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Definitely had moments that I thought, oh, that was that was shocking. Uh, I'm always quite self-critical, which I think is a good thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm yet to come off air after any show and think, wow, that was brilliant. That was amazing. Which sometimes is a bad thing, but in many ways, I think it's a good thing. I'm always striving for perfection that I'll never reach, but I think you've got to hold high standards for yourself. Um, yeah, my, my lowest moment probably, and it's, I'm sure it's out there on YouTube still for all to see, was the um, ill-fated Carabao Cup draw with John Salaka, which you may have seen. Um, so whenever they mention Carabao Cup and draw in the same... I won that the week. They got all sorts of errors that went wrong on the day. There were various uh, uh, reasons which I can use to back up why it went wrong. But anyway, it was one of those days. And, and, and it's, like you say, it's a learning curve and you have to learn what went wrong and make sure it doesn't happen again. But certainly doing soccer special, for example, I mean, you talk about sort of, you know, chaos behind the scenes and wow, that show, you know, when it's, when it's a busy night and the goals are flying in, when it's all going on in your ear, you've got three or four people, you know, talking to each other, barking instructions, you know, get, get us here, get there, there's a goal there, let's get to this person, You're trying to pull it all together with the guests in the studio and the, the guys out of the grounds and you've got your stats and the video printer going. Um, that's where sort of all my experience comes in, I suppose, all the experience I've picked up over the years in, in radio and TV, just to remember that no matter how much is going on in there and in there and you know, you're stressing your heart's doing that, you've got to, on the face of it, be as calm and controlled as possible. Of course, you want the energy and excitement on that show, 
but you've got if you're looking like you've lost it don't know what's going on then the whole show can can, can fall apart really so um yeah, organized chaos is probably the word but i mean i yeah. love that you know that sort of thrill of the buzz that anything could happen that's what you want you know not when i started out at sky probably my first ever shift all i wanted was just two hours of auto queue nothing breaking nice and you know straightforward but now you want stuff to happen you want breaking news you want goals flying and you want controversy and drama so it just comes with experience the old uh swan analogy of you know underneath your legs doing that but on the on the surface you've got to be cool and calm but that, that only comes with experience you know you learn skills you learn ways of filling maybe when something's going on in your ear just buying yourself a bit of time until it becomes clear what you're doing next um but that takes time comes with experience definitely and uh, there's something that I, I picked up on there just on a, on a personal note really which I, I found really really interesting is that you say um you know you're very self-critical and mm. you never come away from a show thinking you know what i've nailed it there's always room for improvement and you can always do better um mm. when i whenever i do a podcast no matter who it's with whether it's you know a friend looking to promote something or someone mm. such as yourself i always look to come away from a podcast having learned one particular lesson you know always mm. looking to have taken something away from it and i rem remember i think it was my second podcast one of the things that i came away from it was a great sound bite from one of the guests was that strive for excellence not perfection yeah if you're whole if you're, if you're expecting perfection from yourself yeah you're always going to come up short and it's always yeah. going to bite at you and make you insecure in a sense so as i say just on a personal note does that never go away is that always going to be something that's there just niggling away i i think it is yeah i think it is um i try and tell myself to go easy on myself sometimes but i, I think that comes with the wanting to do a good job and you know yeah it's very good what you said about the excellence rather than perfection strive for excellence but that is, is a target i always aim for but there's always things that will go wrong. And, and I'm over the years, I've probably learned to accept them a little better. Um, you know, but I, I still will drive home after my shift and think, oh, why did I ask that question? Or why did I phrase that? Why am I meant to use that stat? I totally forgot that would have been a bell so that would have got me to that. I should have. So I'll always do that. But um, I try and see that as a positive. But, I, you know, I probably should go easy on myself sometimes. But I try and see that as a positive that I'm always trying to, you know, it's improve. I'm always trying to think, well, I could have done that differently. I, one thing I don't do, which I should do more, uh, which we're always told to do is, you know, watch back or listen back to what you do. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm the worst person for doing it. If it's on, I'm just, get it off. You can't watch it. Um, that, again, is something that may, maybe I'll get, uh, it'll get easier over the years. But um, as I say, I try and see it as a positive that I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, get better and, and improve. Uh, I think it's better that way than being complacent and finishing thinking, wow, that was that was good and people behind you thinking oh, okay mm. um i think it's better to be that way but you know don't go too hard on yourself you know sleepless nights of, of ease thanks for thanks thankfully now no i i share that with you too i i can't stand to to listen or, or <laughs> watch, watch myself back really but uh one of the questions that i've got down that i really do want to ask because i feel like it's really interesting to get the perspective of someone who is you know there at the, you know the very peak of the industry really is that you you touched on there you know you've gone from wanting these very organized two-hour slots where everything goes rhythmically and smooth mm. to you know basically be in the face of organized chaos um we touched on covid um, and i suppose the impact of that on the industry is yet to fully unfold mm. but 
one of the other huge sort of revolutionary moments for football, the football industry and British football, really. Um, I did my recent dissertation on this, was the, the investment from broadcasters and the introduction of the 24-7 news cycle, basically. So I was just wondering, um, from your perspective, obviously you've, you're someone who's been there whilst the shift has occurred. What are some of the biggest changes that you had to make um, uh, and different expectations you had to set for yourself as those changes occurred? I suppose for me, because I came into Sky Sports News when the you know, the twenty four seven revolution was already had already happened, mm. you know. So that's what I've been used to ever since I, I I've been there, and um, you know the fact it's still sports news probably is is the only one still going strong doing what it's done. Others have, have tried to do it, but it needs a lot of financial support. And it needs the, the rights that Sky have got so you can show the goals and the, the golf shots and the, the boxing fights and the rest of it. Um, so I've, I've been used to that um, that sort of rolling sports coverage. That's been my life as a TV presenter in my, in my 12 years there. That's what that's what I've always done. So it's been no different um, for me. But I think that certainly the, the sporting media landscape has changed so dramatically in the 12 years. I mean, the podcast you're doing today, I mean, you know, when I first started out, there was nothing like this. Um, you know, so there's, there's so many more opportunities now for people to, to have a platform and, and to find their way in. So the times have changed dramatically. I'm still a bit sort of stuck in my ways with, you know, I did all the, the, the journalism course and then did the radio. And I always talk to people about my experience. That's how I got into it. But there are so many different ways now to get that platform for yourself, to, to get that foot in the door. Um, so I'm not sure I really answer your question there, but uh, yeah, um, sports news, that's that's always been my life. That's the way I've been used to that sort of, you know, hour by hour, 24-7, breaking news, rolling news. It's always been the, been the way I've done it. Okay. So it's just a sort of a takeaway from that is that it's, it's consistently a changing machine. And I suppose, yeah. you know, it goes alongside technology and that, you know, it, it really always will be in a sense. Yeah. Um, on a sort of looking at rounding up the podcast now um again it's always great to hear this for, from people such as yourself um in regards to you know the the different experiences that they've had that have really sort of fed their passion for it going forward uh, we touched on you know everton individuals earlier on in the podcast but as a whole and uh, during your time at sky in general may not necessarily have been at sky just uh, during your whole experiences within you know sports media and whatnot mm any interviews or experiences that really fed your passion for what you do fed my passion um let's think i mean i've, I've always that, that's been one of the buzzes of the job for me is meeting big names mm -hmm. you know managers players that that gives me the real buzz when you get to know these these guys and that's what i'm, I'm privileged to do that on, on soccer special and you see some of these huge names coming into the studio and i get to know them on a bit of a personal level which is always that's that's really exciting me. That drives me as well, you know, meeting meeting these guys. Um, I've just I've been very lucky to, to to interview and work alongside actually a lot from my radio days because of course Sky I'm very much studio based, so my job is basically in the four walls at London in London, and it's who comes into the studio, whether it be personally or on the outside feed or whatever. But doing the radio, I was always down at the training grounds interviewing the managers and the players, and you know some of the names you meet, you know, Sam Allardyce. You know, met him, Kevin Keegan, I used to interview him at Manchester City. A couple of times I was sent down to interview Sir Alex. And, you know, that's an education, just watching 
a man like that, the power he had and the, the control he had over the media, seeing men twice my age stood outside his room waiting to go in, looking rather nervous and anxious about speaking to the great, the great Sir Alex. But yeah, so all those experiences of interviewing um, great, great people like that um, have, have helped drive me. Then there's been the, the tough times I've had. I've, I've mentioned it on a previous interview with um, uh, Joe Royal, obviously another Everton absolute legend. And uh, I was with Dan Walker at uh, Ipswich covering Manchester City on the day. They, City got relegated there many years ago. And I went down to the, do the interview afterwards. Dan was still on air. And I hadn't done many of those sort of interviews. I was still quite new to it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't sure what I was going to ask. Had no idea really. How do you ask a first question to a manager who's just been relegated? And my first question was very clumsy, badly phrased. And Joe walked out on me oh. <laughs> after one question. And obviously the Evertonian inside me died a little bit going, oh, Joe Rawls just walked out on me. The professional, the new new broadcaster, just trying to find my way, was absolutely devastated. Those are the moments, like we said earlier, sort of learning curves when you, you think, right, well, next time I'll ask that differently. And you have to go through all, all those moments, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I've interviewed some, some cracking people, not just in the football world. There's some brilliant boxing names in Klitschko and Anthony Joshua, who's a, a good guy and is all in that. It's all part of, part of the fun of the job. That and the, and the football and being on soccer special, that, that sort of thing. It's it's a great job. Oh, I, can, I can only imagine. And as I say, uh, I've certainly got my sights set on it for the future. Mm. Uh, and to to look at rounding the podcast up now, Jules, as I say, when doing these podcasts, not only for myself, but for the audience listening. And I always do like to, to get, you know, uh, points, point, taking points from it that, you know, you can learn from and, and apply to, I suppose, any walks of life. Uh, um, but uh, especially with media in mind, what principles do you think have attributed to your success over the 12 or 13 years? And what advice would you give to, for example, students looking to emulate the same? Good question. I, I would always just say, I always advise people don't expect it to happen overnight. And I think clearly yourself, you're clearly working hard, you're doing the podcast, you're putting in all the extra work you can do to build yourself a platform, to get known, to, to build up a, a load of work you can put to people and say, this is what I do, which is a great thing to do, which any potential employer would be would be impressed by. So it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you've got to put in the hours, you've got to put in the extra work, you've got to put feelers out, get to know people, go and do work experience placements, as many as you can. Of course, nothing, making tea, whatever it is to start off with until you, you know, people think, oh, well, it just seems if you can do that, we'll send him off to do that. And that tends to be the way people find a way in, you know, and if, if you work hard, you're pleasant around the office, you might get sent out and something and another reporter gets ill and you're suddenly asking the questions and little moments like that. And it's funny how often, and I've found it, when you work hard and you're prepared to graft a bit, those little lucky moments, those little moments of fortune and that door opening comes to you. So work hard. Don't be put off by knockbacks, I suppose. I've had a couple in my in my time. I think back to, when I was talking about my path into the uh, broadcasting earlier and, and getting into central Lancashire where I did my postgrad, you know, I actually, on the interview day to get onto that course, was on the reserve list. I didn't impress very much with a lot of big voices in this big group interview. I shrunk back a little bit, which I probably wouldn't do now, but I did at the time. It didn't do very well. It was only on the reserve list. Uh, but luckily, due to the news editor that had been there on the day, who was like the, the guest, he put in a work. He said, no, I think this guy might have, have something. 
and I, I got through and got, got accepted on the course and, you know, little moments like that. So you might get knockbacks. You might, the door might be shut in your face, but there'll be a time when if you keep working at it, you know, the door will open for you. So, you know, don't give up on that. And um, so I'd say, yeah, work hard, persistence and, you know, just be a good person. <laughs> be a good person. Speak to people. Be pleasant. Um, show them you're ambitious, but not overly ambitious. And um, those would be the pointers I'd say, but I'm, I'm still a firm believer. I know the landscape's changing. It's getting harder and harder to get into the industry. But I've seen with my own eyes where I work at Sky, there are lots of good people there and they've all got different stories to tell as to how they've got there. But I think the one thing I have to say with most of them is they're good people. They've got a bit of talent and, and they've built up a lot of talent and, and they've worked hard and they deserve to be there. So that's what I'd say. Just keep going. Don't give up. Work hard. Excellent, excellent. Very, very wise words there. Uh, Jules, <laughs> thanks very much for your time. It, you know, as I say, no I, problem. I've learned an awful lot and I, I really do appreciate you taking the time out to speak to me. Um, Europe this season, eh? Oh, no, no, no problems. I say, Max, thanks again for asking and all the best with the podcast. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, where are we now? September, May time, we might be looking at Europe or Cup final, maybe. Maybe the FA Cup's got our name on it this year, uh, quite possibly. But yeah, I just... You know, it's been too long, isn't it? Like you said, you've never seen us win anything. And, you know, I think back to 95 when I was 17. And if you told me then that we wouldn't win anything else till I'd be sitting here when I'm 42, I just wouldn't have believed it. So it's about time, isn't it? And, uh, you know, in Carlo, we trust. I think we're going in the right direction. Most definitely. Thanks for listening, everybody. 